I'm going to ask you to please turn to Daniel chapter 3, verses 8 through 18. That's our Old Testament reading. But, listen, I am laboring this series. Again, if it was five or six or eight years ago, when we're talking about Romans uh, 13, 1 to 7, probably would have taken a couple of messages on that. And I've just been compelled because of the times that we find ourselves in as God's people, as Christians, a very unique time. Uh, I'm sure you're taking note. I'm sure you understand. Um, so that's why I'm laboring this. There's been several sermons. There'll be one more, Lord willing, next week. Um, because the times we're living in, people, it's not like it was in the past. If you're just a little bit older, you know, in, in, in our nation, as Christians, in our relationship to the government, there's a real paradigm shift taking place. Whether you realize it or not, or whether you want to acknowledge it or not, some people will call it a revolution, and I'd say paradigm shift politically. Um, you know, for the first time in my lifetime, it's, it's, it's really strange to think that there, might not be true integrity in our election system. Like, who would have thought that? And, you know, that's the banana republics down there, but we're the U.S., and, and there's integrity there. We have politicians right now that don't respect our Constitution at all. I mean, not even a little bit, and that's very open right now. And that's, you know, that's something we need to take stock of as Christians. There's millions of people pouring into our country. I'm not making this a political sermon or anything, but it's just a fact. A million of, you know, illegal Immigrants coming in into our nation. When's that ever happened? You know, see, you see the paradigm shift just a little bit. I mean, I can go on and on about this. We're defunding the police. There's a two-tier justice system to be sure. Critical race theory, which at its heart is Marxist, is finding its way in every, every area of civil life and civil government. That's for sure. There are more and more restrictions on our freedoms, not just as Americans, but especially as Christians. Public institutions, from public schools to public libraries, are more and more godless, aren't they? They just are. This, I'm not saying anything that you don't know. Public officials are much less sympathetic and much less tolerant towards the Christian worldview, and it's just going that way. So that's why it's very important for you, for all of us to understand the nature of our relationship to our government, to our magistrate. It's it's definitely changing, and so we are called to know that, understand that, and act accordingly as Christians. So our Old Testament reading this morning is Daniel chapter 3, verses 8 through 18. And this is uh, familiar for us. This is the fiery furnace. But I want you to see this is the interaction between the magistrate and God's people. And we can go so far, but there's going to be a point where we have to say, no, no more. We can't do this. Okay, We're serving God and not man. And, and be ready for that. And also notice this. It's going to be a theme throughout the sermon. Many of the laws that are instituted by oppressive governments, oppressive people, are arbitrary ones. Kind of meant to stop people from doing things, but not righteous laws. Hopefully you'll see that as we go through this message. But Old Testament reading, Daniel chapter 3, verses 8 through 18. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused, and there it is, the Jews. They declared to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. O king, you have made a decree, and there's that law, that every man who hears the sound of the horn, of the pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. So there's the edict. When you hear this, you bow down. You get down and you worship that image. And whoever doesn't fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. 
There are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Well, then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who deliver you out of my hands at that point? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, even if he doesn't, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Remember, these were model citizens until this point. Now, to Romans chapter 13, and again, 1 through 7. And this is our duty before the magistrate. Paul says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those who exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what's good, and you'll receive his approval. For he's God's servant for your good. And we talked about that last week. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he doesn't bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you so much. I just pray for this sermon, Lord God, that you would pour out your spirit. Just anoint us by your spirit, Lord God. Give us wisdom and understanding. Help us to look to you, to know that you are the creator. There's a creator, 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 creation distinction. And you tell us, you set the rules, Lord. You set the standard. And we look to you. So just pray, Lord, that you would bless this message. Bless as we listen to it, Lord. Help us to be engaged with our minds, our hearts and our will, Lord God. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You do have an insert. This is from the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's back in 1643, the England Parliament, and this is what's written. And uh, a lot of our forefathers, especially the Puritans, brought this along, and um, you could see 
a biblical perspective on our relationship to the to the magistrate, what it's to be. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just want to read a few sentences. You also see you, this. what's reflected in Romans. What I've been preaching on is reflected in here as well. So the first one, God has, who's the Lord, the King of the world. He is God, hath ordained the civil magistrates to be under him, over the people, for his glory and for the public good. There it is. That's why government exists. Number two, uh, it's lawful for Christians to accept and execute the office of a magistrate when called thereupon thereunto um, then it goes down to maintain piety justice peace according to the wholesome laws of each commonwealth so there's that law and order Christians are able to get involved in public for sure and then number four very quickly it's the duty of the people to pray for the magistrates to honor the persons to pay them tribute or other dues to obey their lawful commands to be subject to their authority for conscience sake that's right out of Romans 13. Now listen, infidelity or difference in religion doth not make void the magistrates just and legal authority, nor free the people from their due obedience to them from which ecclesiastical persons are not exempted. So, and you can read the rest. That's good to have for you. That's from the Westminster Confession of Faith. So be keeping that in mind as well. So moving right along uh, from last week. Civil authority, as you know, is ministerial. The, the, the government, in its scope, are servants of God's, even if they don't acknowledge God. Why is that? Because God created us. God created government. God has his law and his standard. His law is written on our hearts and on our consciences. Remember in Romans chapter 2, it said, even when the unbelievers, those people that don't have the Bible, when they do what the Bible teaches, when they, when they, when they perform the law, they show that law is written on their hearts and in their consciences. That's why even the most godless countries have some laws that are Line up with scripture. Thou shalt not murder. Most countries know that murder is wrong or stealing is wrong. That kind of thing. That shows that everybody, all the magistrates are under his authority. That's important for us to remember because we think, well, as Christians in a Christian nation, yes, but others, no, everybody, every ruler, every king, every president is bound to obey God. And that's what Christians do. We kind of remind them of that duty. They attend to the matters of justice with impartiality. Enforce righteous laws, deter evil, all those kinds of things. They're to protect, promote, preserve life, liberty, and peace. That's how God intended and what God has intended for government all over, all the time. Even even the question, like how do we know what evil is? What makes evil evil? What makes wrong wrong? What makes good good? What makes right right? God defines these things without God. And this is, you could see it happening in our world today. Without God, these kinds of things, basic things become just subjective. Who decides what's wrong and right? Well, the people in charge. You know, might makes right. We're deciding what the law is and what it's not going to be, and we're going to impose it upon you. It becomes relativistic in the sight of men. So everybody does what's right in their own eyes. That's what happens when you move away from God. And the farther and farther away you remove yourself from God or suppress his truth and unrighteousness, you will turn from his precepts. What sets in? Corruption, arbitrariness. So many laws, statutes, and ordinances are just arbitrary. And they're meant to stop people from actually doing good things. If you're an enemy, well, I'm going to make a law against you so I can kind of suppress you legally in that way. So unrighteous laws are made. They're very arbitrary. Oppression, suppression, injustice, partiality, all these things result as we move farther and farther away from God. Well, what's our, what's our responsibility, Christian? What's your responsibility 
before God and before the magistrate. Remember, Paul and Peter, for that matter, were writing at the time that the Christians were under the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was no friend of Christianity, not at least till Constantine came to power. Before then, there was a lot of persecution among the Christians. There was a lot of suppression, a lot of unfairness, things we, we would just be freaked out by today. How could they do that? That's not right. And yet Christians were subjected to those kinds of things. And yet... We're told from Scripture, we know this from our passings, what kind of citizens are we supposed to be as Christians? And not in a phony way, in a very real way, in a very authentic way, in a very honest way, we are to be the best citizens that we can be, that we ought to be. We ought to be law-abiding all the time, honest, hardworking, respectful, sincere, the most helpful people of all, the most obedient people of all. That's who we're called to be as Christians. Yes, even when you're treated unfairly, even when you're inconvenienced, even when you're mocked. It doesn't mean we don't participate in due process if it comes to that. That's Obviously, we're able to do that as Christians. We may even protest. But as Christians, we protest in a godly way, in a godly manner. Just think of some of the pro-life protests when they go down to the mall on Washington, when the protest is over. What's the mall on Washington look like? It looks like it did before the protesters came for the most part. You know, that's, so you do it in a lawful, just way, in that way. So we do it. We do it as true Christians. True Christians, even when they protest, will not riot, will not destroy, will not burn it down, will not topple it over, will not intimidate, will not loot, will not injure. Amen? Praise God. We do it in a respectful, godly way as Christians. Why? Obviously, this is all kind of review for now, because government is instituted, it's invented, it's commissioned by our God, and we honor him, we love him, obviously, so we respect the institution, even if we're not always on in line with those that are in charge at that time. We still do it for his sake. We honor those officials. Now, when you as a Christian and we as Christians find ourselves in less than ideal political situations, like the Christians back when Paul and Peter were writing, and more and more like we are finding ourselves now, this is very relevant for us, what's expected of us by God in terms of our interaction and involvement with the governing authorities? What can we do? What should we do? What ought we do? How should we act in, in the situation that we're living in? few things. Number one, I just talked about it. Live peaceably as possible. That's five through seven. That's why he says you pay your taxes, give those to who are owed, revenue to revenues owed, respect, honor, all of that. That's everything I just mentioned. We live as peaceably as possible. Other parts of scripture says you live at peace with all people. Do that as Christians. That's number one. So we're the best citizens that we're called to be even. We're not always just claiming our rights every little second. Okay, our neighbor is like two, two inches into our yard. We're not going to make a federal case out of it. At least I hope we don't. Now if it's five or ten feet, you know, but you know, we, we can't be like that as Christians. Take that. We don't love this world that much to hold on to things that tightly. Okay? So let it go in that way. We, we, Make peace. Be charitable in that way. Don't demand your rights all the time. We don't do that. We love a lot. We get along as much as we can. Number two, praise for them specifically. Pray for them. Pray for their salvation. Pray that their hearts will be turned to the Lord. Pray that God's common grace would be upon them, even if they're not converted, that they would still govern in a godly way. Pray for them. And if, and if it does come to that, pray the Lord takes them out of that position and replaces them with godly leaders. But we pray. First Timothy 2, 2 to 
uh, 1 and 2 says, look, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for the kings. Again, consider the context. It wasn't the friendliest of context the Christians were living in. All who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful, quiet, and godly life, dignified in every way. Again, you can pray for that common grace to be upon our leaders to lead in that way. Number three, we need to serve as a corrective. That's We're called to be salt. We're called to be salt and light. That's in every aspect of our society. So here's what you need to be brave, Christian. We do need to be brave. We do need, as God gives us the opportunity, to call our magistrates to repentance and faith. And I've seen it done before. I've seen it down at city council, where we call them to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, we do preach the gospel to them. We, we are so afraid to do that. It's almost like, well, these are our leaders, and we, they don't really even count that much. No, if you have a face-to-face, don't be afraid. Don't be, don't be held back to actually preach the gospel because they need Christ. That's what Paul did in Acts 26. Paul was before the king. It's like being before the president. What did Paul do? And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, you're going to persuade me to be a Christian. What was Paul's response? Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. We need to be that song. Like we need to, to preach faith and repentance. And also we need to remind the magistrate in no uncertain terms. We have that authority as Christians, as God's representative, to remind them that no one, in no uncertain terms, that they are ministers of God. Their authority, their power comes from God and they are duty bound to obey him and they will give an account to him. So we don't, don't be afraid to say, okay, well, they're, they're elected. So we just kind of go along. No, no. At that point, we call them to faith. We remind them where government comes from and who they will answer to. And then number four, get involved. We've retreated so much in our Christian community. We're not like in our little Christian bubble for so long. We can't do that. We need to be in the world. Not of the world, but in the world. Get involved. Get involved at every level. From the local school boards, the state, to, to national. We are still free to do this. You, the Westminster Confession of Faith said do that. And we can sit here, we can complain about, we can see how things are going south, how badly things are going, complain about our politicians, who's taking But what are we doing about it in that kind of way? If you have the aptitude, if you have the calling to do that, we should get involved. The Speaker of the House, I know he's, you know, we have our uh, concerns about him in some ways, but he's a Southern Baptist. Southern Baptist Convention Christian. He's involved in that way. And there's some salt there, some light there, at least in that way. Okay. That's kind of all review from last week. But there are times, Christians, and there are times, and we do not take this lightly. Don't take this lightly at all. Don't enter into it flippantly. Don't enter it into it with this macho kind of attitude, this gung-ho attitude looking for the opportunity. Understand that it will be costly, that it's going to cost you, that it's going to cost us. And it's always a last resort when there is no other option. But there's going to come a time, and it may come a time, where you, where we as Christians are going to have to say no. I know it sounds a little paradoxical because we're, we're, we're to honor. We could still honor and say no. And that's what I'm going to explain to you this morning. There comes a point that does call for civil disobedience by Christians. I'm not talking radical, out in the streets, rioting, injustice. No, 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 no. I know, and I know it goes against our sensibilities, but let me explain. 
Here's a straightforward and simple rule. And I'm telling you this because more and more we might have to apply this in our life and in our circumstances right now. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? It's a big deal. And it's kind of upon us right now. And you're going to have to make decisions on what you are going to do and who you're going to serve. I say this very humbly and with all reverence and, and respect. But there are times. Now, the rule is simple and straightforward. You're going to understand that very easy. But the application is a little more difficult. and Sometimes it gets complex. But the rule is this. When, and if you could write this down or you're taking notes, when we are required by the magistrate to do that which God forbids. When we are required, when they're saying you must do this, but God actually forbids us from doing that, at that point, we're already going to say, you're going to have to make a decision. And we're going to have to say, no. So, if there's a law that comes, ordinances to come, pass and say, for the LGBTQ, you must do this. If you're a church, you must marry them. If they want to come in here and, and want you to marry them, then you must do that. And that's the law, and you're gonna, that's gonna go into, what do we have to say at that point? We're gonna have to say no at that point. Right? Because that's what God, God designed marriage. God gave us marriage. We stay within that paradigm. We stay within His way, so we can't go beyond that. That's requiring us to do something that God forbids. The other time is when God, well, I'm sorry, when the magistrate forbids us from doing what God requires of us. When the magistrate forbids us from doing what God requires of us. The magistrate says, and we're going to talk much more about this next week, says you cannot worship publicly. You can't come together publicly. You can't do that. What are we as Christians going to have to decide? Well, is man or God? And this is very real. Again, we'll talk more about this next week. At those points, at that time, not only may we disobey, but we must disobey at that point. Civil disobedience, I want you to hear this. Civil disobedience, we disobey as Christians by keeping the very laws, the very statutes, the very ordinances, the very principles that they ought to be instituting, that they ought to be upholding, that they ought to be honoring. Do you understand that? That's what civil disobedience is for us. When we're keeping the very things, the very laws, statutes, principles, that the government should be, ought to be upholding, instituting, and honoring as servants of God. Do you get that? Do you understand that? We're criminals break righteous laws. That's what they do. A criminal is going to break a righteous law intentionally. A person is going to rob you. That's breaking the commandment. A person is going to kill you. That's breaking the righteous law and commandment. Do you understand? So as Christians, we're not breaking a righteous law. We're upholding God's standard. First Peter tells us this very, very plainly. It's very important to get this down. He says, don't let any of you Christians, don't suffer as a thief. It's breaking the commandment. Or an evildoer. Or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, that's if you're faithful to the Lord, when they're telling you to do something that God forbids or forbids you from doing something God commands, and you say no, then you are suffering as a Christian. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Do you understand? Do you see that? That's a very plain point. Our whole relationship with the governing authorities is based on the law of God. More next time. But in terms of our immediate obedience and disobedience in the relationship with the government, we look specifically to the fifth commandment. What's the fifth commandment, guys? 
Kids, what's the fifth commandment? Oh, very good. Who said that? Way to go. Leo, my man. Good job. Honor your father and your mother. You're like, well, what's that got to do with the price of eggs? How does that relate to our relationship with the government in that way? It's obeying and disobeying. I want you to listen and understand this. At the heart of this commandment, the commandments that reflect the nature, the character, the goodness, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, that's what the commandments, that's what they reflect and bring forth. At the heart of this commandment, what it regulates, what this fifth commandment regulates is respect and honor for the authority structure that God has put into place for our good and for his glory. Amen? That's what the commandment represents. That's what it regulates. That respect and honor, that, that, that structure of authority that God has put into place. That's what the commandment really has at the heart. Without this commandment, and you're seeing it more and more, aren't you? When you get rid of this one, what happens? There's no respect for anybody, really. Do the kids respect their parents? Do students respect their teachers? Do, does anybody respect anybody in authority anymore? Not much, right? Only by the grace of God. But when you get rid of this, there's no respect. There's no proper distinction, right, between, between uh, superior and subordinate. That, that, if, without the fifth commandment, because that's the authority structure, you honor your father and your mother. You respect them. You respect the whole authority in that way. You have a breakdown in authority. You have disorder. You have chaos. You have lack of restraint, lack of discipline. Everything that's going on today because we've taken that commandment out. Amen? Not amen, but yeah, rats. It's what regulates. The fifth commandment regulates superior. In other words, Superior in office, superior in position, superior in rank, and subordinate relationships. That's why you managers have such a hard time with your people, because they don't respect, because they don't honor the way they ought to. That goes back to the fifth commandment. This is why we show all due honor and respect for those in authorities. We do show honor and respect for the police officers. Everybody, I'm not saying every single police officer is perfectly clean. I'm not saying that. But we respect that office, which is getting so little respect from so many people today. You mentioned the police. Oh, well, they're all gone. No respect for the office. That's a fifth commandment issue. That's why you respect your teacher. That's why you respect your boss. That's why we use proper titles. It's a fifth commandment thing. How many of you are a little bit older would call your neighbors by their first name? I'm not getting down on the younger generation. I know it's a cultural thing, but there's a fifth commandment thing there too. I don't know any of my neighbors except for Mr. and Mrs. Dillinger, Mr. and Mrs. Cretchen. I still don't know their first names. Right, Paula? <laughs> we don't know their first names. That's who they are. That's who they were. That's a fifth commandment thing. You respected that authority and that issue. And if the neighbors corrected you, you listened to them. It wasn't, it wasn't that you would get in trouble by your neighbors and by your parents. And you did, but that's a fifth commandment thing. We've lost that. We've thrown that away. Aunt and uncle, your honor, sir. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. And when you get rid of those distinctions, you have this disorder, this lack of respect. Who respects who? No. This is why the fifth commandment is why we maintain professional professionalism. Teachers are not your friends. I'm not, teachers are friendly, teachers are amazing, and they're helpful and wonderful, but they're not your friends. In this day, they're, they're students and teach that line is being blurred. And by the way, just by the way, this is an aside, 
There's a massive problem, a massive, massive, massive problem with teacher-student, inappropriate teacher-student relationships. I don't know why it's not reported. I don't know why it doesn't go on. There's not more of it. But you can look this up. Very, the thousands and thousands. I have my theories why it's not as reported as much as it should be. But thousands of inappropriate relationships. That's a fifth commandment issue. That line of demarcation, that line of respect. It is, it's gone. Your managers are not your buddies on the job, you know? Like, your manager's your manager. You respect that manager. You obey that authority. doesn't mean you always have to agree with them, but you respect them, and you honor them, and you obey them. That's why. You talk to managers and store, they're just having a hard time. They're having a hard time because nobody's listening to them. They're just doing their own thing. And, and a lot of times, the managers themselves are just kind of becoming one of the buddies and, you know, not doing what they're called to do. That's, these are fifth commandment issues in the end, at the core. In the home, fifth commandment, you respect and honor your parents. Children, you obey your parents. You listen to your parents. You respect your parents and you love your parents because they love you and they're teaching you about the Lord. So that's the commandment. Honor your father and your mother. And it goes for you big kids too. All of us. You still better honor your parents. I'm pushing 60. I seek to honor my dad as much as we can. You honor your parents. Okay? That doesn't end. In the church, you respect and you honor your elders as far as we're biblical. You respect this office. You need to because we love you and we're shepherding you and we're bringing you along. There's that respect factor that comes along with that. That's the fifth commandment. And when it comes to government, we respect and we honor the magistrate, when the law, especially with the lawful laws. You understand? Everything we can do. This is an issue for us as Christians. We're walking by that. We say we love the law. We love the Lord. We love his word. We want to keep his commandments as Christians, as we're being sanctified. Honor. That's, that's, that's humbling in, in many ways. Now, having said that, if any of these, whether it's in the home, church, or government, if any of these are asking you or forcing you to do what God says you ought not do or not do what God commands you to do, then you must not obey. You must not obey. I don't care if it's your dad, your mom. I don't care if it's your pastor or your elders. And I don't care if it's the government and the press of the United States because God reigns supreme. And we honor him above all else. Now, let me tell you this. Let me show you this. Everything I just said is very true. Now, if a mother tells her eight-year-old son to hide a loaf of bread in his coat when they're leaving Giant Eagle, he must, her eight-year-old son must at that point say, no, mommy, I won't do that. She, she has no right to compel him to break the eighth commandment. They're both to uphold that commandment. You can't steal. See, that's when we get this wrong. Oh, but it's my dad. It's my parent. I know I shouldn't do it, but no. When they go beyond the God-given purview as a parent, when they abuse their parental authority, that the fifth commandment affords them, then you must say no. Because God is number one in our lives. Do you understand that? That's why even Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, Paul says this. Fathers, don't provoke your children. Don't make them do something that they should not do. Don't provoke them to anger. Don't don't chide them in that way. Don't make them hate you by your ungodly spirit and attitude or teaching them or telling them to do things that aren't in accord with the word and charitable. Don't do that, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Amen and praise God. That's a fifth commandment issue. 
If an unbelieving husband, you love your husband, wives, you should love your husbands, support your husbands, um, be, be subordinate to your husbands, take your husband's lead. But if your husband's not a believer, if he's not a Christian, you're a Christian, and you want to go to church, and he says, no, 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 you can't go to church. Forget that. We have too much to do on Sunday. Don't go to church. You stay home. I'm your husband. You stay home. At that point, at that point, he's overstepped his authority in trying to prevent her from doing what God commands because God says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. So you wife have to say, honey, I love you, but I'm going to church. Okay? God's a higher authority. Hebrews 12, 10, 25 says, come together, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. He's saying, don't neglect the fellowship of the saints. You come and you meet together. Do you understand? So we're talking about it. We're laying the foundation. We're going to really um, pick up on it next next week as well, bring it all together next week. But I'm laying the foundation today. Let's look at some biblical application of this as we as we uh, go through this. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. We're going back to Daniel. And we read this uh, portion last week. But I want you to see this again. Here's the biblical application of what this kind of civil disobedience looks like for Christians. Okay, it's very important that you see this. We're not like the riders. We're not just going to come in and demand our rights and topple things like you see going on in parts of our country. That's not. Here's what it looks like. Okay, in Daniel chapter six, beginning in verse six. Um, again, the context: the you had evil governors, the satraps. They were they were magistrates. They hated Daniel. They were jealous of Daniel. So what did they do? They arbitrarily made a law to try to get Daniel to sin, so they could have him killed. And that's what tyrants do all the time: arbitrary laws. Right? Let's make a law. These people have too much freedom. We can't let them have that. We're going to cut the. So, so they're not godly laws. When I say arbitrary, it's come from man's heart, man's heart to suppress and oppress. So, so the laws are going to be arbitrary. They say, no, no, no. The only way he'll sin is, the only way we'll get him to sin is if we tell him to disobey his God. Okay, so he, they knew what they were doing. And, and here's what happened. So, then these high officials, the satraps, those are the, the, the magistrates, came by agreement in verse six to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance. There it is. Civil magistrate. Let's establish this arbitrarily to enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the lion's den. So there it is. I'm going to make a law to say, you, if you've prayed to anything or anybody else besides me, you're going to go into the lion's den. And they were doing this. A lot of those arbitrary laws are out of envy, jealousy, hate, power, all those kinds of just nefarious kind of motives. Um, now, O king, establish the injunction. Sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. It can't be revoked. Verse 9, therefore, King Darius signed the document and in the injunction. It's a law. Okay, There's the law. You can't do this. What are you going to do, Christian? When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where the windows were open in the upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks to his God as he had done previously. See what Daniel did? Now let's go down to verse 16. Then the, command, the king commanded Daniel and he was brought 
and he was cast into the den of lions, the king declared, Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And the stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Okay, so notice a few things about this very quickly when we talk about this. Number one, Daniel had respect and honor. The king respected Daniel. He knew what kind of man he was. Right? He wasn't this, this violent, rebellious guy, you know, try to get rid. No, he wasn't doing that. He had the favor of the kings. He was so righteous and so good insofar as he could be. Number two, the arbitrary edict. You know you're in trouble as, as a society, as a church, when you start seeing these laws, ordinances that come up that really suppress your freedom. They're coming out of nowhere. They're not based on righteous laws, all right? But on man's heart, mind. Um, they go beyond their God-given boundaries. That's what that, they, they do exactly. Remember, all the magistrates are held to God's standard. Number, also, notice what Daniel was willing to do. And here's what we need to be resolved to do. He was willing to pay the price. He was willing to pay. And listen, he was willing to pay the price not for disobeying the authorities, but for obeying God. And that's a difference. Criminals disobey the righteous laws. They know what they're doing. I know that I'm stealing that. I know that I'm killing this person. I know I'm doing that deliberately and willfully to, to uh, transgress these righteous laws. But we willingly pay the price not for disobeying the authorities. It's not, hey, I'm going to disobey you. It's, I'm going to obey my God. And that's the spirit that we have. And he was bold. Notice, he was bold. He could have gone into his closet Right? And just gone on his knees and prayed to God. Well, he can't stop me from praying if he doesn't see. But it says he did what he always did. He just went to that place, to that window, wide open, top of the tower. Everybody could see him. That's bold. That's, that's humble boldness. That's not arrogance. He did what he had always done, not in defiance, but in obedience to God. Not defying the government as such. I'm going to defy you. No, I'm going to obey my God. And I'm going to trust him. You can't tell me. That's commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. You're trying to get me to worship another god. That's commandment number two. You shall bow down. I'm not to bow down to any other god. You know, we'll talk more about this next week, how the commandments fit into all these things. But you understand that? That's why you can't do that. I love the fifth commandment. But you're going beyond that when you're telling me to do something that God forbids in the other commandments. You're telling me that I can't, that I must worship and have another god before me. No. Same with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We read that in Daniel 3. I do want you to turn me one more passage to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, same principle, same idea here. The apostles were preaching the gospel. Peter and John are brought before the council, and the rulers gave them a direct command that they should not preach Christ. So beginning in verse 1, And they were speaking to the people and the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So they were preaching the gospel. They were telling people about Jesus. They arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and a number of them came to be about 5,000. The next days, the rulers, the elders, the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with the nice, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the 
high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst of them, they inquired, by what power, by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, you see that boldness, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, preaching the gospel to the, to, to the leaders. Uh, who became the cornerstone. And there is salvation to no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So they go down to verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus. And here it is. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. When they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people uh, for all were praising God for what had happened. So do you see that idea? They had a direct command, don't preach. They refused. They had to follow Christ's command. There's limits. There's limits. Defiance is not prideful. It's not a prideful badge of honor. Don't don't be cocky. Don't say, "Oh, I have. I'm going to do this, and you're going to put it in your face." It's never like that. Civil disobedience is not a prideful badge of honor, but it's a life devoted to humble obedience to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, even while you're still praying for the magistrates who are getting you into that trouble. Understand? That's the Bible, and we're going to close with this. How about Christians? Christians have always interacted with the magistrates. We always have. That's through Scripture. It's through everything. At one time, and, and this is a scenario that might not be too far away from us or something kind of like this. At one time, uh, year 250 AD, there was an emperor named Decius. He was a Roman emperor. Again, Rome was no friend of the Christians, at least not till Constantine. He had issued an edict. He issued a law. He made up a law. There it is. Arbitrary. Once again, it's, it's, a, it's an arbitrary law. Um, coming from his own mind. Here it was. It was this. You guys can worship any God you want. You can worship any... If you're a Christian, worship your Christian God. If you're another, you could worship those gods. Only once a year, one time a year, you have to, you have to offer a pinch of incense. You have to light a candle. You have to acknowledge that Caesar is Lord, okay? That's all you have to do, just once a year. And then you're going to get a certificate from the magistrate. It's going to be stamped or punched or whatever, or you, or you receive a certificate saying you did it. So if somebody says, let me see your paper, your certificate, you could pull that out and say, look, I did my job, and you won't get in any trouble at all. That's all you got to do. One time a year. Okay. Here are the responses. And this is documented. Number one response, and where would you fit in this, Christian? Number one, there were those who said, you know what, once a year, <laughs> I I don't believe, that's hollow, I, okay, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm going to comply because in my heart of heart, God knows that I don't believe in the other gods, I'm not worshiping them, but it's not worth the trouble, so whatever, again, it's just once a year, God understands, I'm going to do that. Yeah, simple enough, get away with it. Number two, there were those who were in positions, Christians who were in positions to bribe the magistrates. And they did, they got a fake certificate. So when they were told to show their certificate, they had one, but it was, it was fake. 
Um, it looked like they had worshipped, but they didn't truly worship him. And that, there's a place maybe for that as Christians. Number three, there were Christians who refused and they said, no, we're not going to do that because that's a first commandment issue. You're telling me I need to worship another God. So no, I'm not. What happened to those Christians? They were, they were persecuted. They really were. How, think about it. Think about your own life. Okay. You're out of a job. You're done. You're fine. You're, you're, we're going to take you. You've lost your job. You've lost your privileges. You're going to be in prison. You're going to be persecuted. Well, after a while, Think about the implications. Well, how am I going to feed my family? You know, what, what's going to happen here? I, I, am I going to get... After a while, some of these people said, you know what, it's not worth it. One time a year, I'll do it. Who cares? Whatever. But then there were those who said, no. We will not. We will not serve another God. Not for a moment. And they did lose everything. And they did lose their family. And they did lose their house. And they did lose their job. And they were in prison. And there were many who died because of that. One time. Once a year. That's all you have to do. Where do you fall? Now, this caused, this was a big controversy. This was an ovation controversy. Can you imagine the controversy that came? When this passed, you know what happened? Those people that, that, gave in right away, wanted to come back into the church, right? And so it's like, wait a minute. If your husband, if your wife, if your wife and your husband died because he didn't do this, and now people that just went along with it and said, well, in my heart he understands, they want to come back in the church. What are you going to say? No, don't come back after you denied. You you didn't do anything. to you. So, so there were those who said, no, we sacrificed. And you, you didn't. You gave in right away. Now you want to come back into fellowship when the, when the trouble's gone? So you could see that. But the other side said, wait a minute. What about Peter? <laughs> what about those when there's true repentance and they realize what they did? And they're truly seeking forgiveness. We bring them back into fellowship. Well, for the most part, they were brought back into fellowship. But it caused a split in the church. It's called the Novation Controversy. You could read about that. But you understand? In some ways, it's very clear. In other ways, it's very complex. But it's always costly. Our relationship with the magistrate. And I'm saying this because it seems like more and more we're going to be faced with these kinds of issues. So next week, try to bring it all together so when we have to make that hard decision, it will be the correct one. It will be with a clear conscience. It will be grounded in the law of God and the word of God. Now, we've been faced with some difficult decisions already, and there's no doubt that there will be many, many more to come.